Good morning. Let's try that again. Uh, if I have not met you, my name is Ken Hall, and I have the privilege of serving here at Hope Chapel as one of the pastors of students. Um, and if you've come and you've seen me and you usually see me, yes, I am wearing a suit, and normally I don't wear one. I do have a lot of them, though. I do. Trust me. But I, on Sunday mornings, I find I'm, I play percussion. You saw me play. And I, use, I move around. I get my arms. With the jacket, it sort of kind of hinders uh, what I really want to do when I'm, uh, playing the percu- when I'm playing the drums. And so I, I did my best Superman change, got down there, put my jacket, my cape on, or my jacket, and uh, here I am. Uh, I found uh, that um, I, I talked to Carl Furl's service, and I was, we were just talking, and I, I said, when I play the drums, is my, because it's my gift from God, it's my act of worship. I find myself, when I'm playing the drums, I, I, can, I worship better than when I'm sitting, at, sitting there preparing to do the sermon because I'm overthinking and thinking about what am I going to say? Is this right? Is this wrong? But when I'm there, I'm just doing what God's gifted me to be able to do so that I can be able to do this. this I, get the, I get the opportunity to share with our students um, twice a week with our junior high and senior high. So everybody, always, some people always ask me, do you get nervous when you preach? I go, I, I, I preach twice a week. I speak twice a week just about with our, our students, and the message doesn't change just because I'm here on Sunday morning wearing a suit rather than sweats. Um, the message is still the same. God is true, uh, the same yesterday and today and tomorrow. And so my message this morning is one that I think a lot of us struggle with. The message this morning is one of the things that I, I, I and I, I'm giving my disclaimers that I don't have this all down perfectly. Uh, and I don't, I don't think I ever will, um, and the, idea, the, the title of the sermon is How to Wait on God. A thing that I think a lot of us struggle with is the idea of what God wants for us and how God's timeline, God's agenda, and how God's timing is different than ours. And the idea that I have obtained all these things is false, that I struggle with them always, and I continue to struggle with them today, but over the years, and as I prepared this message, I found myself, in each one of the points that I came up with, I found very personal things and very personal things in my walk with Christ that have literally manifested itself so much so that, uh, one, I'm going to share some very intimate things about my life, um, but also God has given me just a little insight on what on how to begin to to go through this process of how to wait on God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before you this morning. God, I pray for, pray for myself. God, I pray that you begin to empty me out and pour your spirit inside of me so that what I speak is your words and your message. Father, allow our hearts to be broken for your word. Allow our hearts to be broken for just to hear you this morning. Father, I pray that we get rid of the distractions that are <clears throat> the busyness that are part of our everyday life. God, that we can come to your house and be um, with you and in a community of believers who are searching and seeking you um, as a community. Father, I pray that our hearts will be in a place to be moved by you this morning, that we will leave here not only afresh, but Father, that we will have a desire to be, to serve or continue to serve you. But God, that you will give us boldness and obedience to go out into this place in this world of darkness, God, and do your will. We pray these things in your name. Amen. 
It's so funny that Bill asked, he's like, I'm going to time you for two minutes. He wasn't here first service. So what I did is this. I did the same thing. For 30 seconds, I was silent. I said, let's pray. And I was getting ready to get in my sermon. And for 30 seconds, I didn't say a thing. Many of you are like, what is going on? Did he freeze up? Did he forgot his sermon? Does he not know what he's going to say? The idea is this, is that our first part of today's message this morning is the how to be still. We don't know how. We struggle with it. Each and every one of us struggle with being still. One, and I asked this question, I posed this question this morning, why is it hard for us to be still? Why is it hard for us to be quiet? What is it about it that, doesn't, that we don't allow ourselves to be quiet or still? From the earliest moments as a child, we don't know how to be still. It's just part of who, it's part of our DNA. I'm reminded of the story that my parents tell often, uh, especially to my kids, uh, is that I was sitting at the dinner table, my father, and my father, who's in ministry, had some very important guests over, and we're sitting at the table, and I was sitting down, and I couldn't be still. I sat, I was, you know, squirming around in the chair, and I just was like, I can't be still. And my father, who was actually sitting at the head of the table, gave me, you know, the look. The look is, if I open my mouth and have to verbally tell you to be quiet and stop moving, you're in big trouble, mister. And at that moment, I looked at my father, and I have a great and strong fear of my dad and a righteous fear because my dad's a godly man. And, but when he looked at me that way, I was like, all right, I still need to move. And I still need to move, and I can't sit still. And I was still moving, and I found myself, and I just couldn't control myself. And one of the guy, and one of my dad's people who were visiting, walked, looked over at me, and could, knew that there was something going on. And he asked me, he said, "Ken, hey, how are you doing?" And I just looked at him straight out. I said, "I just got to get up and move." And I proceeded to get up out of my seat, and I started dancing and wiggling, and the whole room burst out in laughter. And thought it was funny. I didn't get in trouble from my dad, but it was, I didn't get in trouble. It was, it was actually fantastic because they all thought it was funny. But the idea of this, of us being, not being able to be still and having to move, uh, that doesn't change as we grow. It doesn't change that. And the thing about it is we have lost the, uh, the desire or the, and the ability to be at rest. Studies say that we have over 50,000 thoughts throughout the day. Not all bad, but a lot, of them dis- a lot of them distract us from what really matters. We don't like being still or quiet because here's the reason why. It's work. It's work for us in this crazy world to put away all the craziness and all the things that we're doing and our activities to be still and to be quiet. There's a lot of reasons, and, and some of them are, are valid. We have, we have, many of us have kids that need our attention. So we're busy doing that. Many of us, we have work that weighs heavy on our minds and, and our ideas, and so that we can't sit still because we need to get these those things done. Some of us may have schoolwork and studies. I know that I need to get this work done. I need to get these grades. And so I'm busy doing this work. And so I can't be still. I I need to be, I, I need, my time is precious. Some of us may even have family matters that are weighing hard on our hearts and that we need to do those things and we need to take care of our family members and there's no time for me to be still or to be idle or we have chores around the house that need to be done. As humans, we can always find reasons not to be still or quiet. Our first passage comes from Mark, thir- Mark 4, verse 39. 
It says, peace be still. This part of the scripture in Mark, 49, uh, Mark 4, verse 39, comes from where God is, uh, where Jesus has just been casting out demons and just, you know, healing people. He's in a crowd of, he's working through the crowds and they're, he, they're all vying for his time and vying for what he, for, for what Jesus was giving. And Jesus literally just tells the disciples, I need to get away. I need to get out. So Jesus gets on this boat and I, I and, I could just imagine Jesus just, I am exhausted. I am tired. I just need to go and just be at a place where I can be at rest. Well, he goes below and finds a place to sleep and a storm brews. A storm comes up and his disciples. And I always found this passage really kind of just shows our human Identity and human agenda. They have just seen Jesus do unbelievable miracles. The same Jesus that's in their boat, a storm comes up and they're scared. They're worried about what's going to happen. So much so that they are they they run down. Jesus, wake up! There is a storm going on. We're gonna die. Jesus, you know, he's like, I'm tired. He comes up to the top of, he comes on deck. He looks around and is like, peace, be still. And the storm stops. The literal translation, uh, translation in Hebrew is this, hush. Hush, or in modern terms, shut up. <laughs> he just gets up and tells the storm, shut up. I'm busy. I, listen. What is going on is more important. My will is more important than what you have going on. Hush, be still. A lot of us need to begin to begin to attack our excess, our busyness, our things in our lives that are setting us back from having this relationship with God. We need to say to those things, hush. Hush, let me be in the presence of God. We struggle with that. It's a hard thing to do. God wants more from us than just being busy with our day-to-day lives. The passage goes on and talks about how God not only just calms the storm, but literally, you guys, what's wrong with you? Why can't you figure this out that you're sitting with the person who literally can do all things? I share this passage because many of us are intimidated by the silence. We don't want to go there. We don't want to have this moment of silence for a lot of reasons. One, and mainly because we're alone with ourselves and our own thoughts. We don't want to be alone in the presence of God, knowing the stuff that we've done, knowing the things that we need to talk about, knowing the things that we need to address between us and God. Being alone, being quiet, as we go and do our quiet times and our daily devotions, we find ourselves checking it off because we're good Christians. We're we're supposed to. This is what God calls us to do is to have a daily quiet time with him. But for a lot of us, we are so busy to get it done that it becomes something that we do rather than we are enjoying being in the presence of God. It's not a thing that we rush through. Our busy lives are all out of whack because we want to rush through being in the presence of God so that we can be in the presence of humans and presence of the world. We are, as followers of Christ, if we've asked Jesus Christ into our hearts, we should just honor the moments of being in God's presence rather than being in the presence of men. Why do we find ourselves day after day rushing out of God's throne room? This is the act of being still. And I use this message, and I say it's it's an art more than an act. An art 
of being still takes one thing. As an artist, you cannot just come up to a, a canvas and throw paint on the canvas and think that it's a masterpiece. No, art takes time. An artist needs to sit there and go through the process of figuring out what he's going to put on a canvas. An artist, a lot of artists will sit in front of a blank canvas for days and hours or in front of modeling clay and figure out or wood or some or a sculptor will look and see and be like, what am I trying to make out of this? And then it comes and it comes through the process of being still in that moment. A lot of us find ourselves having the opportunity to be with the greatest artist ever. The one who created us. The one that created the most beautiful canvas that has ever been put before us, which is this earth. And yet we are running. We are running out of that moment every day. And the funny thing about it is that God is waiting. God is waiting for us to put away all the busyness and all the other things. He is waiting for us to go and be in his presence. His desire is to have a relationship with us, that we are finding ourselves being still in those moments, in that moment, so much so that we can hear from God. A lot of us struggle because we don't know and we don't have purpose in our lives. I talk to young people all the time and that, well, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what I'm going to do. I always say, hey, have you, how's your quiet time? It's good. I do it every day. Well, how much time are you spending with God? Well, I do my quiet time. Well, however long it takes to do my quiet time. But the question is, how much time are you, are you really spending with God or are you doing something? Don't get me wrong. Reading, I want us to read the Bible because it is truth and it brings us closer to God. But if we're not trying to read it for the value that God has created it for us, then we're just reading it and we might as well just be reading another book or the funny pages. If we're not preparing ourselves to be able to take in what God wants to give to us through his word, then we might as well just be reading something else because all we're doing is we're flying through and checking it off as something that we, as an act rather than an art of what God has created for us to be in his presence. And it's a struggle. For a lot of us, this may mean a couple of things. One, it may mean more time. It means, may mean that you need to get up earlier in the day so that you can have one Five, one, two, three, four, five, ten minutes to get in the presence of the Lord before you go and read or do your devotion. It may mean that you stay up later. My time to do my devotion for the most part before I go off and do television or after I do television at night, is at night. Kids are asleep. My wife's asleep. Every, the house is quiet. It's the most quiet I can have. And it's at that moment that I Fine, I, the best time I write, I wrote this, this message and God spoke to me when I wrote this message at night. I had cleared away all the other things. Some of us need to find the time. We need to make the time. We can make the time for everything else, our families, our kids, our jobs, but we need to make the time to be in the presence of God. First idea of how to wait on God is to learn to be still. This is what God commands for us. Because he wants to speak to us. I use the analogy a lot of times of how we do our quiet times and how we're not still is the idea of a conversation on the phone. It's not. Back in my, when I was younger, I had the phone in my house and I had a 24, 20 foot long cord so I could walk all around the house with it. But the idea is having this telephone was that I talked and then I listened. I talked and then I listened. Many of us have this conversation with God. We do our quiet time, we pray, and then we hang up the phone. Click. God, you heard what I said. I wanted this. I needed this. I want this. I need this. And then click. We have not waited to hear on God. 
what God wants to say to you, how God wants to move you, how God wants to reveal himself to you. This happens only when we are still, when we are clear mind and ready to hear from God. This week, I, I challenge you, I challenge you this week to take one or two minutes a day. Start with one minute, find yourself quiet, and just be with God. One, be still. The second point that I have is this, is you need to understand something that I'm about to tell you doesn't really, you're not going to like. Here it is. Our agenda is irrelevant to God's will. Let me say it again. Our agenda is irrelevant to God's will. There's something I, I you know, I, when it comes to this, there's something I, I just need to confess is that I hate traffic. I hate it. I hate it so much. It frustrates the heck out of me. I hate traffic and I hate New York City. I hate New York City because I hate their traffic. I won't, if you go out of, my students will know, if I go on a mission trip, we go through Scranton around an hour extra because the possibility, GPS says if you go through New York, it's an hour and a half short. I go, no, it isn't. I won't drive through New York. My wife and I, we went to last February, we went down to Myrtle Beach. I got out of the car in Connecticut and got back into New Jersey because I let my wife drive. I wasn't driving through New York. I won't drive through it. And then if I do get caught in traffic, a lot of times my Christian faith sits in the back seat and my frustration sits in the front seat right next to me when it comes to traffic. A lot of times... Jen goes, has to remind me, so what is it you do for a living again? <laughs> and I'm reminded that I, I need to be able to have God beside me. But it does. It drives me crazy. It reminds me of the story of this guy who, who was traveling, and he was flying, and he was trying to make a connecting flight. And he was at one of those mega airports, the ones that uh, you need to shuttle you around. in the uh, get off one end, and they're like, to get to the next terminal, you have to get in the shuttle bus, and you get in the shuttle bus, and you get on, and you got to go to the next one. So this guy's frantically, businessman's very frantic, trying to make his connection flight. He's sitting on the front seat of the, uh, uh, like, second seat in, on the shuttle bus, and he's constantly already, he's the first one on. He's looking at the shuttle driver. Hey, let's go. You know, he's the first one on. Hey, I'm on. That's all that matters. Let's go. And he gets on, and he's like, Worried about it, and, he, and you know, what comes next? Oh, here comes this family. They got three, four kids. He doesn't know how many, but it seems like there's a lot. And they got a stroller in one hand, and the kids, come on, kids. And they're like, come on. Then the mom comes on. She's got one underneath the arm, and some, she's carrying some, you know, seat, some driver's seat to go, and some car seat that she's driving. The kids are getting on. This guy's like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe this. They're trying to throw the stuff on the luggage rack. And then, then there's that guy that everybody knows. He gets on the shuttle bus, and he begins to have a conversation with the shuttle driver because he's not sure that he should be on this shuttle. And this guy is like, are you kidding me? The next, he's already like, you could just see. I mean, he's like here right now. Then this group of uh, teenagers mission trip teenagers get on the bus and they get on with their backpacks and loud voices and it just seems like they're endless one after another they're on the they keep coming on and there's a and, and they the shuttle by this time is full it's crowded and they just keep packing these teenagers in and they're Adults and the chaperones are like, come on, come on, come on. And the guy's like, there's another shuttle bus right behind. Why do they all need to be on this one at this time? This guy is, you know, he's, now he's like, it is like, he can taste how mad and frustrated he is in the back of his mouth. He's saying, all right, shuttle driver, we need to go. We need to go. I need to make my flight. Shuttle driver, you know, he's. This guy does it for a living. He's like, well, okay, whatever. I'm going to drive. And he takes off, and they're, they're traveling throughout the tarmac, and, 
They're going, and then this guy, every 30 seconds that they drive, is looking at his watch, beginning to calculate the time if he is going to make his connection. And he is just deep breath, deep breath, deep breath. And he's, he's trying to get there. And then over the PA, he hears someone tell the bus driver to stop. That's it. DEFCON 5. This dude has lost it. His, it's off now. He's suing everybody. He's suing the shuttle driver. He's suing the airport. Every one of these teenagers, their parents, you've all made me late. I can't believe it. He's just, he's fired up. He cannot believe that he's going to miss his flight. So much so, he's so upset. And what happens is, Everybody is looking at this guy, and they, you know, they take one step back. You don't know what's going to happen. This guy is fired up. And the doors of the bus open. And an agent comes on. And an agent makes his way and looks around the bus and makes eye contact with the businessman. And walks over to the businessman and says, Excuse me, sir. You left your briefcase at the counter. I heard how important your trip was, and I thought you might like it. Wow. Wow. How many of us have our own agenda that is so important to us that we lose focus of what really, really matters in our lives? As followers of Christ, our agendas, we take our own agenda and we say, you know what, I need to get these things done because it's important to me and I value and I have these things that I need to get done when God is saying, my agenda matters most. We pray this, we say this prayer that it's not my will, but your will be done. As followers, that's our prayer. But yet when it comes to life, our agenda comes first. Our ideas, our lives, our families, our, our jobs come before God. We find ourselves just like this businessman with blinders on in our lives. The blinders of life have literally focused us on things. This is what I need to, if I can control this. And and I think that's what it boils down to is we want to be able to control situations. We We want to be able to have things in order. We want everything to make sense to us. We want our timeline to be able to, that I can say, if I start here, I will end here. And we want to be able to say, okay, anything in here I'm going to control, whether it's family life, whether it's business life, whether it's school life, I want to be able to control it because if I control it, then, then if something goes wrong, I can fix it. Yeah, that's wrong. Remember, our agenda doesn't matter to God's will. God's will for our life is perfect. God's will for our lives is not only perfect, but his plan for us is amazing. There's a scripture from the NLT version, Ephesians 2.10. It says, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he has planned for us long ago. God's masterpiece. Did you know that you, God describes us as followers of him as, God, as his masterpiece, the best thing, the greatest thing that he has ever created is us. If we have received Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus as our Savior, that we are created anew. God's love for us as his masterpiece is unconditionally is unconditional. He has a good plan for our lives. That, that, that scripture says the good thing he has planned for us, the idea that it says long ago is this. That is God's agenda. What he has planned for us long ago is God's agenda. 
a perfect plan. His plan does not include things that we do to please others or ourselves or to earn God's approval. His plan is so much better. God even gives us a choice. The question is, are we willing to, do we insist on following our own agenda or will we submit to God's authority and follow his? Because if we choose God's, God's plan, the Bible says we will produce much fruit, not because of our own cleverness or ability, but because of the faith in our connection to God through Jesus Christ. The Bible says in John fifteen five, it says, I am, the va- I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We might work hard and succeed at relationships or career, even in ministry. And maybe we'll see some results, but oftentimes, more than not, that hard work that we put in our own produces a couple of things. One, it produces frustration. It produces stress. Even if we are fully, God, I'm being obedient. I'm doing what you're asking. I've I've volunteered for this specific ministry. And we put our heart and soul into this ministry. But because we're doing it on our own will and we have left God out of the, the equation, we are finding ourselves struggling to do what God has asked us to do because we're trying to do it by ourselves. This is the struggle that a lot of us do. We go to school. We do our schoolwork. God, I can't. I'm so stressed out. I have to do this work. Man, how many times did we pray before we went to go study? Do we spend time in prayer before we go and go into a business meeting? Because what happens, we get frustrated with how people do things and how they don't do things. And the reason why is because we haven't given it to God to sort of kind of take care and sort of walk us through this. Because what we're doing is trying to fulfill our agenda, not his. We have to remember that with God out of the equation, what we will accomplish is nothing. God has a plan not only for for, for your life. He wants to help us follow that plan. But first, we must choose to follow his agenda, not our own. You must choose to trust his strength, not our own ability. Only then will we produce fruit that is meaningful and that makes an eternal difference. The next verse in John 15, 16, it says, You did not choose me, but I have chosen you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Man, what if we started working in our hearts on things that are eternal rather than things that are going to die with this world? What if our lives were at an attitude of eternal, where we're thinking of kingdomly things, kingdom works, not our own works, not our own accomplishes, but kingdomly works. One of my favorite things to say, and I've said it, I don't know how long I've said it, but it's been a part of my life, is I I use this phrase as let go and let God. The idea of this is a lot of times it's taken wrong. They think a lot of people just say, all right, God, you got it. God, just take it. And just we sit back and we let God do what, you know, God's going to take care of it. God's going to take care of it. That's not the idea of this. That's not that's the idea of this phrase. See, the idea of letting go is more than just offering it up. Say, all right, God, take care of it. I'm not going to do anything. God, you're great. You do all these things. The idea is no. Here's the idea is this, is the let go part is we need to understand the let go is an act of surrender of our lives and our agenda and our will toward God. It is an, we need to be an active participant in the idea of surrender. Surrendering our will is one of the hardest things that we will ever do in our lives because it means that we have no control. And for some of us, that's a struggle. To relinquish all control. That's the let go part. The let God 
is the idea of trusting that his will is perfect. That his plan is better than ours. There's this act, so the, the idea of trusting, the first idea of surrendering, that's movement. That's not just sitting back. That's going forward because you're surrendering. You're moving forward and saying, here, God, take it. And then you're trusting God. You're saying, okay, God, I'm willing to go, not to sit back and watch you do it, but God, I'm willing to follow you, the let God part. I'm willing to follow wherever you want to take me. That's the let God. We need to figure out how to do this. We need to be reminded that our lives as Christ follows is not to glorify ourselves, but to glorify Christ. When it comes to following God's plan, many of us take the path, and myself included, not of least resistance, but most resistance. I'm stubborn. I want my way. We will do anything and everything just to do it our our own way. We know that God's plan for us is perfect and we want to be obedient. And so we try it for a while. And we say, okay, I went to sermon. I always tell our students, they go to these retreats. We go to these retreats and they're fantastic and they get excited about God and they're excited and they're going to read their Bible and they're doing everything. And some of us may hear a sermon that literally moves us to do something and we do something for a while and we get excited about God again and we do what God wants for us and we're walking with God and we're we're volunteering, we're doing all these things and then life comes in and we literally choose to start, you know what God, I got this for a little while. We've been good for a while so I think I'm going to step out on my own. And one step, one moment, Six months later, we find ourselves looking back at God and saying, how did I get here? How did I choose to find myself so far away from where you want me to be? We have literally creeped in and we've allowed our our own agenda to creep back in. It has become a me thing again. We have not surrendered again. We have said, God, okay, I know what you want from me, but... God, I got this one. Yeah, we find ourselves falling flat on our face and struggling. We have forgotten the most important thing that God's agenda, God's agenda, agenda, not ours, matters most. In any good sermon, there are three parts, and this is my third. But... uh, and it's the, I think it's the hardest thing, and it's this. It's how to trust God in the waiting place. And what is the waiting place? Well, it's when God wants to teach us something. Waiting on the Lord is hard. I, I always knew I wanted to get married. I always knew that I wanted to be a dad more than anything else. When I was 11 years old, my dad said, you're going to make a great dad, and we're going to pray for you, pray for you, and all these things. And at a young age, I, I wanted it really badly. So much so, I was at a conference, and uh, at 16 years old, uh, I was at a conference, and a guy said, hey, do you know what you should start doing right now? Young people, you should start praying for your wife and your husband. I was like, that's a great idea. I'll start praying for my wife. So even with our family, we'd have our family prayer time, and I'd pray, and I'd literally, the only thing I'd pray for is my wife. God, wherever she is, whatever she's doing, uh, take care of her. Make sure she's a... It, when I, even in the toughest times of my life, when I, I had not a consistent prayer life or a good relationship with God, the one thing that I did is I continued to pray for my wife. It was the one constant from the time I was 16 until the time I got married. I prayed for my wife almost every day. The thing about that is, I got into my 20s. And I wasn't married. I found myself, God, you know I've been praying for a long time by the mid-20s. God, you know I've been praying a long time for my wife. Are you listening? 
Do you hear me? God, I'm, I've been consistent with this thing of praying for my wife. So why can't you listen and do what I ask you to do and find me a wife? I, I didn't get it. I said, I stepped out on my own. Like, well, God, you've taken too long. And uh, I, I started dating on my own, and I found myself date after date struggling and falling flat on my face. It didn't work out. No matter how great the girl was or how in tune I thought I was with God, it didn't work out. I was 30 years old, and I was frustrated and because I was at the point where I, I, I wanted to get married so badly. I wanted to have a family. And I was working with some, uh, with, uh, some pastors, and they were good. They were, had become really close friends, and they were married. And I was like, they're going to know what to do. And I said, all right, I'm coming before you as a brother in Christ. And I, and I literally broke down and cried and said, I want to be married so bad, and I want to have a family, and I want to know how to do it. And they looked at me and said, together, they said, okay, stop dating for a year. And I was like, yeah, Right. I'm 30 and I want to get married. Stop dating for a year is going to push back my timeline and I don't want, I want to get married. Because by this time, most of my friends, the majority, probably 95% of all my friends were married and had children. And they were, and in my mind, they were not living a godly lifestyle, but yet they had everything that I wanted. Here I was, I was in ministry, I had given up jobs and found myself in a position where I had no money. And I said, God, if any time I needed a wife, it's now. <laughs> the guy's like, and he said, stop dating for a year, both of them together. It was like they were waiting for me to ask them. And for a year, I finally said, all right, I'll do it. I was mad. And I just did it. And I was like, okay, I'm going to be obedient. And I just did it. And for a year, I didn't date. The next year, literally the next year, I met my wife. (laughs) You didn't hear the whole part. It took her three years to realize that I was the person she needed to marry after I met her. So... (laughs) But what God was trying to teach me in those moments was this. He was saying, listen, you have done everything. Listen, you're being obedient. That's great. But you have not tried to be with me. You're busy with life. You're busy with ministry. Listen, you need to go back to one and be still. For a year, I couldn't do anything except for focus on Christ. And realize it's not your timeline, but it's my timeline that matters. Before God wanted to do some things in me, he wanted me to realize that my timeline didn't matter. Because it doesn't matter what we're waiting for, whether it's a loved one or what we uh, or a myriad of other things, whether it's job or healing to be brought out of poverty. It's all hard. And we need to realize this one thing. Waiting has everything to do with our heavenly father's love for us. As humans, we can't understand how this could be. And yet it is true. We have to wait because he loves us. Romans 11:33 says, "Oh the depths of the riches uh, uh, oh the depths of riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways." What does this mean? If we look at this passage this way, it's a, if God or if he is so great and we are so small, we are literally incapable of understanding All he is working out in our own lives. Even though we are confused, our God is still worthy of our full trust. Our full trust. Do you not know that what is better than a spouse, a child, a job, even healing out of illness is the Lord's infinite worth? God's value is more than anything that we can put up on this earth and try to compare. God's agenda, our idea and our trust for God that we need to trust not only in the idea, but trust in the process. 
that the act of surrendering and being still and surrendering of our will and trust and then saying that our agenda doesn't matter, that God's agenda matters most, and that we trust that those things are so true that we are able to, to love God even though it doesn't make sense. That we are able to trust when our pockets are thin and we don't have anything, when our deepest desires are not being fulfilled in our own timeline, we need to trust the process. Trust that God's agenda is perfect for your life. This is the struggle on a daily basis that we as humans have is we because we want to put God in a box and say, God, operate when I say operate, do when I say do. And if you can work around my schedule, I'll be obedient and do what you ask for me. God says, no, it's not about that. It is me who breaks out of the box that breaks the glass ceiling. Anything that you can think about, anything that you think that you may know about me, I am bigger and greater than that. And so much more. You need to trust. We need to trust the process of Jesus Christ. This is what God is commanding us for us to do. God himself is better than the rich, any riches on earth or any earthly gift. As we are waiting for our deepest desires of our heart, you may lose sight of the one who love, whose love is truly priceless. We have to learn that God is more gracious, faithful, enduring, and powerful than anything or anyone. We need to seek God, seek after God, and he will grant us peace, contentment through his almighty power. We will learn that, God, that good things of this earth will always pale into comparison of what God wants to do in your life. This is what God is saying. Wait. Wait on me. Be still. Trust the process. Trust me. This is what God's asking for us. Listen, as followers of Christ, and if you're not a follower of Christ, if you've said, you know what, this, I, this makes sense, but I don't, I don't know what it is. Listen, I, I pray that you come and find me, come and find one of our elders or someone who's praying and saying, listen, I, I want to trust this process because I'm finding myself frustrated. I'm finding myself not being able to be still because I'm fidgeting and finding myself doing all these different things that are pulling me away from what really matters most. Find us. Our first... We're a praying church. We pray. We love to pray. We love to pray for you. And we want you to be able to understand that, that God wants to do something in you bigger than what he's doing now. But it does. It takes an act. It, it takes some work. Let go and let God is, is the saying that I, I, I use. But, man, that's, that's, that's a journey that we all need to be on. There are three things written in your bulletin. If you don't have them, if you turn back, and I always give these questions to, I always say that in my, when, I, when I preach or when I speak to our students, I always give them something to take away. Because I think that if we, for most of us, we can hear a good sermon and if we walk away and we don't have something to do to remind us, it'll just be a good sermon. For a moment, it may stick with us, but if we have something down on paper, for me at least, makes sense, and it's something that I can actively pursue, and this is what I'm asking you to do, is to be able to answer these questions. And the first question, if you don't have it, to write it down, it says, do I believe what the Bible says about God's faithfulness and love to his children, even when life feels wrong? Man. Two, do I find Jesus to be infinitely valuable above any other gift in this life. More than anything else, do I find Jesus more valuable? And if I don't, need to figure it out. Third one is, do I measure God's love for me based on what he is presently doing for me or based on his sacrifice on the cross? Are we saying to God, what have you done lately? What have you done for me lately? Or are we saying, man, God, I can never pay back what you've done for me.
as you go through the process of figuring out how, one, two, or three, being still, realizing that my, uh, our, li- our agenda doesn't matter, and three, that we're trusting the process and trusting God, if you ever find yourself struggling, and I do all, my, all the time when I'm waiting on God for whatever it is, waiting for, for, for God to do something that I want or waiting for God to do something in ministry or waiting for God to, do, uh, to, to make a change in someone else's life, what I do, if I, if I get frustrated, I, I'm always reminded, go back to one. Go back to one. Go back to tr- the, the art of trying to be still so you could hear from God. We're going to pray. We're going to have the band come up. And uh, they'll play us in one more song. But let's just bow our heads in prayer as they come up and those will take offering when they play. Father in heaven, we, we come before you as individuals and we ask. God, we ask that you give us a heart that literally is ready to surrender, that is ready to be broken at your feet, God. The God that we will allow ourselves to pour, that we will allow ourselves to be open so that you can pour your blessings upon us, that you can instill in us a right spirit so that we can be obedient to you. God, I pray that we will have the ability to trust, even when it hurts even when the process doesn't make sense, that, God, that we will trust because you promise to be there. You promise never to leave us. You promise that what you have for us is better than what we have for ourselves. God, I pray for any of us who are here in need of prayer and, God, that there that we will humble ourselves and we will seek someone out, whether it's me, whether it's one of the other people that will be up front after service, God, that we will find ourselves in a position, hey, listen, I, I realize I can't do this on my own, and not only do I need you, God, but I need the community of this church or the church to, to pray for me, for encouragement, for strength, for obedience, for endurance, to be able to trust the process, because right now I'm going through a tough time. Father, we thank you that you are a God that loves us unconditionally, no matter what we've done, no matter where we've been, no matter what's going through our heart, that your love covers it all. The price of you dying on the cross, on the cross covers all of that, and that you desire to have a relationship with us in those still and quiet moments. We pray these things in your name. Amen.